0: Today, we are continuing our series, God's Story, Our Story. We're on part 66, one for every book of the Bible there. Uh, And an interesting thing to keep in mind is the kingdom. If you've been attending for the past few weeks and you've heard Pastor Rob preaching through the book of Matthew, he's talked a lot about this kingdom language. And in fact, that's language used throughout the whole of scripture. So we understand that the kingdom was created Genesis, that the kingdom's broken, that the kingdom is promised, and that the kingdom's arrived in the Gospels, where we spent a lot of time in Matthew, with Jesus and his earthly ministry, and now we're at this pivotal transition where the kingdom is advanced. How does the kingdom, after it's arrived, go forth through the Holy Spirit, the church, and the work that God's called? his people to. And then finally, the kingdom is consummated. Those are instances we see in Revelation and throughout the New Testament and Old Testament as well. But that's where we're at. Pivotal transition here, going to look at how the kingdom is advanced. And the primary book that we're looking at that today is Acts. Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. If you brought your Bible, you're welcome to turn there. We'll also have the verses on the screen for you. But this book of Acts, what are we talking about? The acts of who? Who's acting? Well, you could use the long version, which is the acts of the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit working through the church. But I'm just gonna stick with acts today because that's a little bit long if I was to reference that each time. But again, acts is the hinge. The New Testament book that helps us understand how the gospel went forth in the lives of the apostles in the early church. And it helps us answer really, really important questions like what happened after the resurrection? What happened to Jesus? What happened to his disciples? What happened to the kingdom? And let me tell you this. If you want to understand how the kingdom of God works, you need to understand the ascension, which is what we're looking at this morning in the book of Acts. You need to understand the ascension because the book of Acts helps us to see that what God has accomplished in and through the ascended Jesus is applied to us by his Holy Spirit. And I'd like to submit one underlying question that we can keep in mind as we go throughout this message. And it's why did Jesus have to leave? Why did Jesus have to leave? I've thought about that myself many times, and especially in these last couple weeks, because wouldn't it be better if he was just here in person? I could get so many more problems resolved going to a person, right? Jesus in the flesh right here. But we're going to see in this chapter and in this, these few verses that it is absolutely essential that Jesus leave. And really, he didn't, he didn't fully leave. He left in order to do something, He left for a purpose, and for that reason, he was raised for a purpose. We're coming right off of Easter. We celebrated the greatest Sunday in the history of the world where our Savior, who took our sins upon himself, put them in the grave, descended into hell, just like we professed in the Apostles' Creed, and was raised to life so that we too are raised to newness of life with him. And if we just end there, we're missing something. The ascension is really, really important to our faith. And in fact, without the ascension, I would submit that our faith and our salvation is incomplete. It's incomplete because Jesus left for a reason. So without going any further, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Father, our prayer is that as we read your word, you would indeed speak. By your spirit, help us to see how great you are. Help us to realize the gravity of our sin and meet us right where we are with your grace today. In these very words and in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Let's read Acts 1, one through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And he said, which he said, you heard from me. This is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. We all have dreams, don't we? We have dream cars, we have dream houses, we have dream vacation spots. A dream of mine, if I could just be candid with you guys right now, is a new Tacoma. How cool would that be? You see these ads come across your TV or your your social media or other things, and it's like, you can have this car, you can customize it. And so, you know, for fun, you can go on the website and you can choose which kind of wheels you want, which kind of uh, interior you want, the color, brand spanking new Toyota Tacoma. What a dream that would be. Just imagine with me that that was the case, that I actually had that opportunity and this car is in my driveway, it's full of gas, zero miles, I'm handed the keys and I put the keys in the drawer and I drive my 2004 expedition with a quarter of a million miles on it with no AC, who would do that, right? It's just, it's like an impossible scenario. But that's what it would be like if God had this dream kingdom created and he left the throne empty. It would be like leaving that brand new kingdom unoccupied. And so, again, we return to that question of why did Jesus have to leave? And I'll give you the short answer and then two reasons for it. Why did Jesus have to leave? So that he could reign. So that he could take the driver's seat at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And notice, not Jesus didn't come from God to man and then back to God. He is in heaven right now as a man, and spiritually present with his people. And we're going to see how that takes place here, even in the book of Acts, and as we continue to meet in the weeks to come. But why did Jesus leave? Why does the ascension matter? So that he could reign. And the first reason that the ascension matters is that Jesus can reign in heaven and earth. Because of the ascension, Jesus reigns over heaven and earth. It's a very important factor How does this happen? We see it in verse 9 where it says, he was taken up into heaven. As they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight into heaven so that he could be seated at the right hand of the Father. And it might not seem like much. What does it have to do whether he's in heaven or not, right? But it does mean a lot. In the context of scripture, the throne of heaven is very, very important. Psalm 103, it says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Isaiah 40, it almost comedically says it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. The kingdom of heaven is very important. And Jesus being above heaven and earth is very important because, you know, why is ascending important? Because without the ascension, Jesus' reign wouldn't be cosmic. But because he is raised and seated in heaven above the circle of the earth, he is Lord over all creation. His kingdom is cosmic. His rule is cosmic. His reign is universal. Ephesians 1, it says, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. You see, he was raised for something. As I said a minute ago, without the ascension, we would be lacking. Our faith, our salvation would be lacking. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't leave us empty. He rises to the throne in order to be Lord and to reign over heaven and earth. But if you're having a hard time grasping this, don't worry, the disciples did too, and we see that. In verse six, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they focused on here? Their immediate political context, right in front of them. Are you gonna restore Israel at this time? Is this gonna be the time when all of our problems go away and you fix the pain and the brokenness that we feel in our life? It's serious. We don't want to downplay their question. But how does Jesus respond? Actually, before we look at how he responds, I could just submit a tiny personal application here. There's many times we get fixed on our immediate context too. We get, if our ultimate hope is bound up in in a political party or financial security, or if you're a student, your grades and your performance then our vision is far too narrow. We're like the disciples here who who are kind of asking this question but with blinders on. But Jesus comes to remove those, to show himself to be the truth and to show them the truth about God's kingdom. His objective was not to reprehend but to teach them. So how does he respond to this confusion that the disciples are found in? He says in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. How interesting is it that Jesus doesn't say, nope, it's not the kingdom of Israel. Actually, it's this. He says, he responds to the time element of it. He says, it's not for you to know the time or the season. What is for you to know is that the Father is in complete control of the calendar of world events and he will bring everything to its destined end. That's very important. He also teaches us that the scope of God's kingdom is way more significant than political Israel or whatever fixation we might have in our lives. He wants to open it up and say, look up to the ascended Jesus, look up to the throne that I'm about to take. Look and see that this kingdom is way more significant than you could ever imagine, and be a part of it. And he says in verse eight, you'll receive power to be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, which is, by the way, part of Israel, like the disciples asked, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus teaches that the Father's in complete control, but also that the scope of God's kingdom is way, way more significant than we could ever imagine. And so as the ascension shows how the scope of God's kingdom is more significant on a cosmic, universal scale, right? That Jesus had to ascend to the throne above heaven and earth and leave Jerusalem so that he wouldn't just be resurrected king of Jerusalem, but that he would be resurrected king of creation. That's a very important factor. Just as we see that on a large scale, it's true in your own heart that Jesus rules and reigns on a microcosmic level in some word, in some sense. So we see that Jesus reigns over heaven and earth, and we also see that he reigns in the hearts of his people. Because of the ascension, Jesus reigns in the hearts of his people. How does he do this? Well, in verse 8 and verse 5, we see this person, the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity who proceeds from the Father and the Son and together is glorified. And what is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit? We just had a baptism last weekend for Easter. How special. But one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is sealing that which belongs to the King. The Holy Spirit seals, places a seal on that which belongs to the King. In Ephesians 1, 13, and 14, it tells us how this works. It says, When you heard the word of truth, the Bible, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee and the down payment of your inheritance in Christ. Notice that our passage in Acts does not say you will receive power when you do X, Y, and Z but you will what? Receive. You will receive this power. It's not something we earn. It's given as a gift and as a seal and a testimony and an inheritance as a down payment of the inheritance that we have. And so one of the, you know, I'm a a seminary student. I'm, I'm finishing up this year. Uh, in a few weeks I'll be graduating and I'll be sitting out there and Dr. Lamerson will be handing me something, hopefully, (laughs) if I can make it through the class. (laughs) But the the interesting thing in one of my classes is this, this phrase that Luther used. It was one of my favorite classes, the class on Luther, and he said, The law says do this, and it's never done. Grace, or the gospel, says, believe this everything is already done how freeing is that how freeing is that to know that by the spirit and through faith you can say everything has been done but at the same time believe it to be true wow the spirit does that inside of us I know we don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot in the Presbyterian world sometimes, but it's really, really, really important. And we see that the Ascension and the Holy Spirit are like, I don't want to say buy one, get one, freeze at Publix, because I love going to Publix and, and getting the BOGOs, but it's, it, they go hand in hand. When Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit comes in order that Jesus might be spiritually present with all the saints, not just physically present in one spot. And that is very, very important for the life of the church and how the gospel and the kingdom are going to advance and set fire to the world, to change sinful hearts to loving, serving hearts that can can say, yes, believe this, it has been done. And you know, the seal, we're talking about the seal of the Holy Spirit, the seal that we have cannot be broken or taken away, the seal of the king. And it is so powerful that the only one who can open it is the king himself, the lamb who is slain, as we heard sung this morning. In Revelation 5, it says, Worthy are you, it's talking of Christ, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests, To our God. And as if that wasn't enough, he says, And they shall reign on earth. Wow. Why would God do this? How does God do this? I think it, you know, Paul talks about the mystery of the faith, something that's unsearchable and unknowable, these riches that are in Christ. And he says, You can know it, it's been revealed. That the Gentiles, that that God's one plan of salvation would be true. Notice that at the introduction, I didn't say the kingdoms advanced this way. The kingdom, the one plan of redemption from the beginning, from before the beginning of time, that God would show himself to be glorious, holy, redeeming, faithful. All these things that we know about God are true, and we see them in his word and in. Christ and they're imparted to us by his spirit. The ascension matters. So what is this power for? You might be sitting here and thinking, all right, that was a nice theological lesson there. But what is this for? How do I actually use this? What do we do with the power? Well, I'll tell you. You will receive power to what? To be my witnesses. To witness. The word there in Greek is martus. To see or hear something firsthand. To be an eye or an ear witness. And what does that word sound like? Martus. Martyr. Interesting. That there were so many witnesses witnessing to the truth of God's glory and salvation in Christ that had the seal of the Spirit on their hearts in the way that they lived, in the things that they said, in the things that they did. That seal was never taken from them. And for it, many were killed. Many faced persecution. So you see, witness, this powerful witness that we've been given is a result of the Spirit indwelling His people enough to say I can't my faith cannot be shaken because Christ is the only one worthy to open that scroll and that seal that's a beautiful powerful engaging truth that can that can help your life that can help you where you're at and you know the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same one that lives in you Romans 8 And he fills every crack. We're broken people, aren't we? We're broken like pots that have been dropped and shattered. But the spirit who exposes those cracks fills them with his presence, with the resurrection power of Jesus, the same power that raised him from the dead. And so it's painful. It is painful and it hurts when this happens but it's absolutely necessary for the lord and savior of your life to come in and to dwell there for jesus to reign and be lord of your own heart and life and we like to keep the power and the resources to ourselves don't we we really do but don't do it don't be like the 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 servant in the parable of the talents who hides this gift away until the master's return We ought to invest it, even in little ways. Testify, witness to the goodness of God in your life, in your family, to your spouse, to your kids, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. You can witness because the power of God resides in you by faith. And it's not something you earn, it's not something you conjure up. It's not a 9 volt battery either. It's not a little remote control car battery. This is a nuclear power plant of divine might that comes to reside in God's people by faith. And it happens because Jesus ascended and he took his throne and he reigns over heaven and earth and he reigns in the hearts of his people. If I could provide you with a final application, it's that this power is what gives you the strength to go on. There are times when we're weary Many of us have come in these doors and we're just just trying to get in the pew, right? We're just trying to get here. But this power that the Holy Spirit provides us is what gives us the strength to keep witnessing, to keep serving, even when we're weary, even when we're crushed in our own spirits. The power of the Spirit at work within us. It's the power of his spirit that gives us the ability to trust God in every circumstance, in times of plenty and in want, in times of certainty and uncertainty. It's this power that gives you the voice to speak truth, to demonstrate it in love, and to show grace and mercy to those around you, even enemies, because it's exactly what God did in the person of Christ. In his trilogy, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien writes a dialogue between Sam and Frodo. And they are broken off from the main group. They are just being led through who knows where with Gollum, with Smeagol. And all they have is the pack on their backs and a little bit of hope that they'll make it to the end. And they're having this conversation in the middle of the darkest, unknown place and Sam says to Frodo, I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs or tales. We're in one, of course, but I mean put into words, you know, told by the fireside or read out of a great big book with red and black letters. And years and years afterwards, and people will say, let's hear about Frodo and the ring. And they will say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was very brave, wasn't he, dad? Yes, my boy, the famousest of the hobbits. And that's saying a lot. It's saying a lot too much, said Frodo. And he laughed, a long clear laugh from his heart. And said, why Sam, to hear you somehow makes me as merry as if the story was already written. The story is already written. You can find hope in the darkest places, wherever you are in life, Because the story is written. Jesus is on the throne. He is sitting. He is not pacing around, nervously wondering if his kingdom's gonna make it or if he has to go to plan B. He is sitting down until all things come under his feet, until all things are united in him. That is comforting for the Christian, and that he gives us his spirit to know and reside with us here as we go and as we continue to fix our eyes upon him. If you doubt this to be true, if you're not sure how the Holy Spirit does that, it's okay. All you need to do is ask. Ask God to make his presence known to you in a real way and believe that he will. He answers us when we call upon him. Because the same spirit of power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in you. Instead of darkness, overcoming your darkness and causing you to witness, witness to the glory and the goodness of Christ in your life. So you can laugh. You can clap. You can dance. You can cry. We can respond to this because the story is already written. Jesus has overcome, and he reigns over heaven and earth, but also in the hearts of his people.